0: Coming up next, we're going to be talking to a photographer. Her name is Saiza Bakani, and she's straight out of Hong Kong. She's based there right now. We're going to be talking about a new project that she's been working on, as well as a whole lot of other things. that's coming your way next. This is Twitter. Hey, folks, welcome back to another This Weekend in photo interview. I'm here with Saiza Bakani. She's a photographer who's based in Hong Kong and uh, she's working on some pretty interesting projects. As you guys know, we've been doing this series with a number of notable photographers for the, the Fujifilm Visual Momentum project. And uh, Saiza is the latest in that series and with a, with a really, really interesting story and an interesting sort of insight on some things that she sort of moved into and transitioned into. So Siza, welcome to the show. How's it going? Hi,
1: thank yeah, you for well, having me.
0: Yes, welcome, welcome. So you're in Hong Kong right now, right? So you know, how, is it, how is it living there? How are you, before we start the interview, is it, is it fun, is it comfortable? Are you okay there? What's, what's happening?
1: I'm okay, I'm good, and really? just surviving.
0: Yeah, absolutely good. All right, well, so I want to dive into this, and um, like I said, this was this is part of the Visual Momentum series from Fuji, and the, the the project itself. So we are like air. So tell me about we are like air, and what was what was the motivation behind, it and how did it come about? And then we'll dive into your history a little bit.
1: So we are like air is a book that I published last year. Mm-hmm. Or, um, December last year. Oh, it's almost a year. So it, we are like is about migration. It focuses on the uh, complexities of migration. So it focuses on eight different stories, and the main story is about my mother and my family, who who is a family of migrants. Mm-hmm. So so it talk. Uh, it the narrative focuses on her and how it is connected with different stories around Hong Kong and it's basically a story about love sacrifice and family and mobility
0: well let's dive into that a little bit because I know you when we did the the introduction you were you, you you sort of led into the idea that you made this transition from being you Saiza, into sort of moving into your mom's shoes a little bit take me take me through that a little bit
1: so um in the book we are like air you know, I talk about being left behind by my mother when I was eight years old and then becoming a migrant domestic worker myself when I when I was nineteen. So there's a lot of, of issues surrounding that situation in our life and and then When I went to Hong Kong and work as a domestic worker myself, that's when I understand her better. And that's when I pick up a camera to be able to show her how Hong Kong looks like. So basically, I became her eye.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and that was your, you know, when I do these interviews on This Week of Photo... One of the questions I generally ask people that I just meet like you are, how did you get into photography, et cetera? So, so rewind back to that point, right? So you, you are using the camera as a way, not just as, okay, I want to take pretty pictures of flowers, but it was a little bit deeper than that, right?
1: Yes, because my mother is a workaholic. So she works seven days a week and her life revolves around her employer and going to the market cooking for them, and she chose to not to go out and get, uh, take her holiday because she wants to send more money to our family. And then I decided, why not pick up a camera and show her how Hong Kong looks like? Through my photos, she's like seeing Hong Kong. like she's, She feels like she's going out herself. And so I decided to go out, shoot street photography, photograph street photography, Just go around Hong Kong, and whenever I come home, I show it to her. So it was a way of like bonding with my mom as well.
0: That's fantastic because normally you talk when I talk to photographers. It's even if it's a street photographer, it's not like you're they're shooting for one individual in particular. They're they're shooting to build a story or they're shooting you know for some other reasons. You were shooting. You had an audience of one (laughs) that you were shooting for, right?
1: Yeah, she's my biggest critique. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I, until now like i i show her every photo that I, I i created and she's just gonna say oh i like that photo i don't like that photo and then when i asked her why and she was like i just don't like it you know i like it because Looks beautiful to me, so I think she helped me a lot when it comes to like picking my photos. So,
0: <laughs> that's awesome! And now look at you! Look at where you are! So that's that's great. So, so, so about the the We Are Like Air project, and specifically, what what are the the, the were there any big challenges that you hit as a as a photographer slash photojournalist in this capacity as you were putting together that body of work?
1: It's the hardest project I've ever done so far. I mean, I photograph a lot of different stories in different cities, but you know, I empathize with the people I photograph. But it's not me. It's it's not my loved ones. It's not as it's not skin deep. You know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So um, I think the hardest part of of this project is it forced me to be vulnerable and. I think it's kind of hard to be, to show vulnerability, especially when you're dealing with family issues. So it forced me and my family to look at issues that we rarely talk about. So some wounds were reopened and then some words that were never spoken were, you know, we talk about it. So it's a lot of tears. you know, it's not the technical part that was hard for me. It was the it was the vulnerability it it, it kind of like exposed me to this vulnerability that i didn't even know that i have you know
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do you feel like do you feel like the project has changed you at all as an artist in, in the way that you approach things
1: yes i i i think it made me realize that it's okay to be vulnerable mm-hmm. it's okay to absorb all this emotion and deal with it rather than just like bury it in your deepest soul. Yeah. <laughs> so I think when an artist is vulnerable, they become more sensitive of the other person that they're photographing. And that helped me a lot with anything that I do na- nowadays, you know, because mm-hmm. back then I- I'm photographing people. I have that you know, I'm, I try my best to be sensitive about the issues that that they they have, you know, but still photography is power. Right. Mm-hmm. So if I'm photographing them, it means I have the power and that power can be used to exploit them or empower them. But with this project, because I'm photographing my own, my my family, that power was taken away from me. Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, something yeah. deep like that. Yeah, that is deep. So, so in a lot of photographers express that in different ways. Some photographers will say, you know, when I and I, myself included, when you when you pick up a camera, it it sort of acts like a passport into mm. a, a different world that you may not have had access to without that passport. But it was different for you, like you said, you were it, it you were already sort of in that world, but you were now acting as a documentarian, what were the people that were, you were photographing, how did they react to you sort of as being a documentarian, a a documentarian photographer, as well as sort of being in that world as well?
1: I'm very lucky that they're very generous in their time. And, um, they, they were really open to me, maybe because they feel that I'm one of them Mm -hmm. and I understand them and I will never do harm to them. Because if I do harm to them, it means I'm doing harm to myself. So, so I, I like that um, relationship that we have. The the fact that they were open enough to tell me about their dreams, their hopes, their heartbreaks, and and I'm just grateful for that. Because you know, when you do photography, when you have the, even though you have that passport, if the people who doesn't who you want to photograph doesn't want to open the borders and it's, it's not going to be a good project. It's the same as migration, right? Yeah. Everyone can have, everyone can have a passport, but not everyone have the privilege to go in.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So the, in, in terms of the, the, the impact of this project, when you started it, whether it was the, the goal for the project, the same as, as it was at the end, as it was at the beginning, or did it sort of morph along the way?
1: I think the goal, I'm, the reason why I did this book is because I was thinking about the impact from the beginning, like how will it serve the people I photograph? How will it serve the, my community? And I'm very lucky because um, the people that I photograph, it, it gave them healing the way that it did to my family. Like um, they send me messages that, oh, this happens to me. My employer talked to me, my my daughter and I had a good talk. It was really cathartic. So that goal was, for me, it, I, we were able to achieve that goal. And right now, I'm just hoping that there will be a bigger impact to this, which is changing a system that allows abuse to migrant domestic workers.
0: mm mm-hmm yeah and, and is it is are we moving in that direction are we making a dent in in the the abuse cycle
1: i think so i mean i've been doing this for like four years now so yeah. there are um i've spoken to people who are in the position of power to do something yeah. about the migrant issues in hong kong in japan at the un so i was hoping that my my works are actually uh activating their minds to actually do something about this
0: and that's that's the whole purpose of of photography and photojournalism right is to to shine a light in corners of of life that many people may not know about and if they don't know about it they can't act on it right so that's the power of the camera is to inform and and present them with an option to do something or not do something and you're right in the middle of that so congratulations and, and thanks for that That is, uh, that's awesome. So, okay. We have to switch gears now besides it. So, you know, uh, gear, right? So (laughs) we talked about the project itself. Now this week in photo audiences always love to hear what you're using to shoot these amazing photographs and why you made that choice. So what are you shooting and why did you choose to shoot that particular gear?
1: So, I'm using a Fujifilm GFX 50S and Fujifilm GFX 50R, both medium formats. And I chose those two because um, I it made me fall in love with the files. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just so alive that it's so different from any other cameras, you know? So, And then I also love that it's very user-friendly. So I'm more focused on storytelling than mm-hmm. just worrying about my gear, and I can drag them to the cameras to different places. Some of them not nice or unsavory, and they still function. And the weather, you know, it also it ha- also have this protection against extreme weather. So I think it serves me well. That's why I chose to use those two and with medium formats you can i mean i use medium formats to photograph products or conflicts so
0: yeah yeah i'm interested about that because you know there's it's interesting it depends on who you talk to you know about in and, and, and obviously the the choice of of tools that artists use is extremely personal. And it depends on the work. It depends on the artist, depends on the photographer, et cetera. Um, but I hear people, a lot of people, more and more people moving up to the larger sensor sizes, you know, like, like the, 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 the full frame, you know, medium format Fuji files that you get. Now I'm I'm curious to ask you though. So a lot of When you when you have these files, you're by the nature of your work, you're not you don't really have the necessity to do a whole lot of retouching and that sort of stuff. Right. So what is it about those large files? If you can put a pin in it, like what is it about having all of those pixels available to you? Do you think enables you to do to get your vision out better?
1: I think I do a lot of exhibitions. So
0: printing big. Yeah.
1: I print big, I do billboards as well. So I don't need to worry about the file size because uh-huh. I know that it can be printed beautifully. Yeah. So, um, that's the main reason why I use these big sensors. And also I don't, I just don't need to worry that my files will be terrible. It, it kind of takes away the worry of worrying about technical stuff. I just know that it will be good yeah. because, uh, I think, you know, if as a photographer, as an artist, if I if I'm shooting and I'm worrying about the technical stuff, then it will take away the focus on what I'm supposed to do. So with the medium formats, I use them with the um, I use them for mainly because one of the main reasons is because I print a lot of my images. Yeah, I I do big prints. So,
0: and a lot I mean. of a lot a lot of photographers are just. You know, they, they will never, well, for the most part, will never have the, the, the need to print a gallery or, or giant prints and 99% of their work will be displayed online. To those people that are watching this and, you know, they they look at your work and they're thinking, I want to be like her. You know, I want to shoot like size of shoots. What should they should they be moving towards the trajectory of going with a medium format or is 35 enough? Is micro four-thirds enough? Is your cell phone enough? What do, what do you think?
1: I think, um, you know, with the mirrorless system of the Fujifilm, it, if you want bigger files because you're printing and you fall in love with the color, then go for the medium format. But if you cannot afford it, just go with the mirrorless, the smaller ones. So Fujifilm is able to, like, give us cameras that serves us well on whatever we need. Yeah. So I encourage them to get a Fujifilm camera, whether it's a tiny mirrorless or it's a medium format, depending on what they need. It's a good start if they can get, you know, the entry level Fujifilm cameras. Because phone is good. Phone is okay, you know, mm-hmm. but then you can never print them. It's mm-hmm. just going to be on your mobile.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: It, it's, it's okay for, for Instagram, but, but then after that, what are you going to do with it?
0: Right. Yeah. If you get it, if you get a great shot on the phone and it takes off on Instagram and time magazine calls you and they say, I need that shot. Can, you know, it, it may work okay, but you know, it may not. So yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: No, very good.
1: I, they'll never know if they want to be, you know, printing their images in the future. So yeah. better be prepared than sorry.
0: No, Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this is interesting so I, I'm curious I know I know your time is limited so I want to I want to sort of dive into the future of Saiza Bakani. like what what are you working on now present and where what does the future look like in terms of projects you're working on and places you're traveling to et etc
1: so I'm working on this new project about climate change and migration because those two climate change is one of the biggest risks of the humanity that you know of our time and I'm trying to put a face on climate change and I I tied it up with migration because I think climate change is one of the, one of the biggest drive of migration. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, if, if you can't live in a place where you can generate an income or, you know, Create crops, etc., because of climate change, and you have to mo- move someplace where that's possible, and that's what we're seeing. And that's what, you know, according to science, that will that's what we'll see over the next ten to twenty years as the climate shift and populations move to places where food is right.
1: Yes, so, correct. Yeah,
0: yeah. When when you say put a face on climate change, <laughs> what does that mean? Like, uh, like you just want to like personify it or, you know, what, what is it, what is putting a face on climate change look like? You you know,
1: I think it's more like putting out stories out there of people who actually suffers from climate change. So I did this project in Indonesia where, um, people are being trafficked because they're not able to farm anymore. It's easier Mm -hmm. for human traffickers to, to actually, um, thrive on that situation because they're not able to provide food for for their families. Or for example, palm oil workers who you know how palm palm oil is terrible. And we have these p- farmers who don't get anything from it. They, they they're the ones who produce palm oil but they suffer from it. So and I also have this thing where when you tell someone about glaciers and that person has never seen snow, will they relate to, to no. the climate change story with no right. face? Yeah. I think humanizing climate change and making people realize that we're not going to save the planet. We need to save ourselves because the planet has been around for the longest time. Yeah. it's It's been around longer than us. So we need to change our mindset about it that if we don't do something then we're gonna suffer and there are people who are actually suffering now from from climate change and i want to put you know the spotlight on these people maybe to change the narrative a little bit
0: yeah no that's that's great thank you for doing that and and no you're absolutely right you know it's it's when you, when you think about the age of the Earth in astrophysics terms, right, 4.3 billion years, and we've only been here for a tiny slice of that. And if we go away, the Earth will spin on.
1: <laughs> exactly. I mean, <laughs> if the, uh, dinosaurs became extinct, then so are we. Yeah, right. It's, it's going to happen to us, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. In cosmological timescales, it's it's just a blink of the eye that we've been here and it'll be another blink for us to go away if we don't, you know, make efforts to stay here. So, yes. Yeah. No, I get it. You and me. We, I get it. I get it. Right. <laughs> All right. Besides, if, if people want to connect with you, look at some of your work, maybe, you know, interact with you. What's what's the best place to reach out?
1: Well, I have a website, it's ww.sisachbokani dot com. Instagram it's sisachrisbokani dot com. All my social handles are sisachrisbokhani dot com. Awesome. Oh sisakrisbokhani, yeah.
0: Got it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And I'll I'll have put that on the screen at the bottom, and those links will be in the blog post for this episode as well as the YouTube description. So if people want to reach out to you and you're watching this in either of those places, just look down, you'll see the link. So <laughs> cool. Siza, so, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate you. And congratulations on being a Fuji ambassador. Congratulations on this these projects that you're working on. And most of all it's refreshing and congratulations on the passion that you have for using photography as a tool and your Fuji cameras as a tool to get the word out about these issues. So I appreciate you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I mean, it means a lot to me for the space for the stars to be heard and seen.
0: You're welcome. My pleasure. Okay. You have a, you have a great week and I'll talk to you soon.
1: Yeah, you too. This is Twit.